Well, it's so good to be together, even though right now we are on Zoom. So special. Uh, I have a TV screen in front of me so I can see your faces, and I want to tell you, you look awesome. Even in your pajamas, uh, <laughs> you all look wonderful, and God loves you so much, and we miss you, and we so wish that you were in the room with us uh, today, but it's such a privilege to be able to have even just a small group, just our team here uh, to, to put on the live stream. And um, we really pray that this blesses you, strengthens you. Um, one of the reasons why we felt to do the live part on Zoom is so that you can actually still see each other's faces and uh, encourage one another with your smiles and in the, the chat uh, section. Um, and I just want to say that it's such a privilege. We need to remember that it's a privilege that we can actually afford to do this. That there are so many people all across the world that, that actually don't even have this luxury or this privilege. And so what an what a amazing opportunity to use technology in this way to love each other, to bless each other, and more than anything, to come together in agreement to worship the Lord and to minister to His heart. So it's so good to see you. I'm going to do my best to look mostly at the camera, but your faces are so beautiful that you might see my head drop every now and then just to see your reactions. So... I want to just tell you, preaching uh, to a Zoom screen or to a camera is probably one of the worst things ever. Um, so if you can do lots of silent, uh, it looks like uh, silent from my side, but if you could just scream and shake and, you know, manifest a little bit, that would be awesome. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, manifest in the good sense, obviously. But I mean, if it's in the wrong sense, we'll just get you free. So it's awesome. It's such a privilege to share the word with you uh, today, and uh, I, I count it a privilege every time, even as an uh, elder in this house, the privilege of preaching the gospel, the privilege of uh, having this microphone and being at this pulpit to open the word of God together. And um, I want to just say that we, we as, a, as a leadership team and as a church, we take it so seriously, and, uh, and it, we really do stand with uh, fear and trembling, the fear of the Lord when we minister the word, because we have a responsibility, we're accountable for the proclamation of the truth. And I want to say to you that with all the love in our hearts, with every bit of pastoral uh, love in us, we want to just say to you, we will not compromise. We will not bow. We will not yield to anything else but the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom. That's what we will continue to preach. We won't shrink back. We won't look to the right or to the left. Our eyes are fixed on Jesus. And so I want to just encourage you and say, uh, you know, I know it's frustrating having to be online and not being able to be in the same room. But the gospel, the word of God, is not chained. It's not limited. It's not hindered. And as long as we are built around the word of God and built on the truth of who Jesus is, we will always take ground. We will always advance. And we will always see the kingdom of heaven continuing to be established violently on the earth. And so I want to say to you today um, that we are in a time where there is clearly, very clearly, two narratives. And, and we have to be so sure in our hearts which one we're going to choose to listen to, and not only that, but which one we're going to choose to engage with. And so there's a narrative of the enemy right now, and that, that narrative, that storyline is fear. It's limited. It's restricted. It's locked down, shut down, isolate yourself, don't connect, don't push in, go be safe, don't risk uh, this is the mentality, and I'm not talking about the virus, I'm talking about the culture that's come along with it. And I want to just encourage you today and say, yes, is it scientifically real and all that? I, yeah, 100%. I do not deny that fact, but there is truth that is above every other fact, every other scientific fact, and we have to, as the people of God, decide in our hearts, do we really believe, or are we a bunch of people with a bunch of words to profess and proclaim with no reality in our hearts? No, come on, church, we know what we believe, we know the truth of the kingdom. It is the highest form of, of uh, knowledge and understanding. There is nothing above it. There is nothing above the name of Jesus. And so together as a family, I want to stir you up and encourage you and say that we will not shrink back from preaching the word of God. And I, I want you to know today that you are being equipped right now to preach the gospel. That what, when we talk about preaching the gospel as the church, we're not talking about trying to get people to come and see uh, one or two or three people in the community that can preach from this pulpit. Your life is the greatest pulpit you will ever have. And if you use that life as a pulpit to proclaim and preach the gospel, you will see the demonstration of God's heart in your life everywhere that you go. I've been so encouraged just hearing a few stories and testimonies this week of how in the workplace there's been opportunities to minister to people, opportunities to love children, 
opportunities to see the kingdom of heaven, invade situations that would not find themselves in this room, but they're out there waiting for us to go and engage with them and bring the heart of God, bring the love of God, where we become the hands and feet of Jesus. So I want to say to you, when you understand that that's who we are, then you can never, ever lock down, restrict, or shut down the church, because we are the church. We are the church, and everywhere we go, we're going to bring a demonstration of the kingdom of heaven. And then when we get together, it's a beautiful moment of coming into the glory, creating a picture of heaven on the earth, and seeing others come in and realize the bigness of the dream of God. That's really who we are as the people of God. And so I want to encourage you uh, with that. That said, we are really praying and trusting the Lord uh, that He would open up uh, in this time the opportunity for us to gather Um, And we are praying now for our nation. I I hope you're praying for this nation. I hope you are praying for this country. I want to say something to you and encourage you in your prayers. Don't focus on the narrative of the enemy. You know, when we begin to pray problems, we never see breakthrough and freedom. But when we pray solutions, we come into the dream of God. We come into alignment with His heart. And we begin to see things open up. And so I'm not interested in all the opinions about how corrupt the government is and how everything's falling apart. I know, I can see it with my own eyes, so can you, but that's not what we're going to pray. We are going to pray solutions. We are going to pray that Jesus breaks in and invades our government, invades our country, that we need to understand that in Isaiah 60, when it says, arise and shine, for your light has come. By the way, when it says the light has come, that's Jesus. He has come. The light of the kingdom has come. So now because of that fact, because of that truth, We're called to arise and shine. And it actually says amidst deep darkness that covers the whole earth, we will arise and shine. So our expectation, our our, um, future and our hope is not in our government as much as we pray for our president and pray for the government. Our future and our hope and our expectation is not in our government. It's not in our medical systems. It's not in our hospitals, though we pray for them and we pray for our doctors. We've got many people in our church that operate in the medical uh, industry or sphere and, uh, and so we're praying for them, and we're contending for them, and we're trusting the Lord for breakthrough and revival in these spheres of influence. But our hope is not in the medical system. Our hope is not in the systems and structures of this country, because when we see them fail, suddenly we have no hope. Our hope can't be in these things, but our hope is in Jesus Christ. And when we, as the people of God, begin to put our hope in Him, suddenly we begin to arise above the darkness, above all the noise, above the voices and the chaos, and we begin to shine with the light that has already come, and His name is Jesus. So I pray this morning that you are encouraged, strengthened, and fired up. It has been such an interesting time trying to lead and navigate uh, a church and the community through this time because... um, you know, to be honest, sometimes you think you're right, and then two days later, you realize you were wrong. Uh, and so you, you're just constantly saying, oh, Lord, mercy, grace, Holy Spirit, help us. Uh, if you've known me for longer than five minutes, you know that uh, I'm pretty intense and generally jump to the extreme thing straight away. And so when, when all of this started out, my first response was, no ways. We are, we're just going to rebel and meet and just stand up and rah, rah, rah. And then I got covid and was humbled by the Lord, and found myself just emptied of my own opinions, my own understandings, and just crying, I saying, Lord, I need you. And when we come to that place of deep reliance and dependence on Jesus, that's when we're truly strengthened with the power and might that's not our own, but His, and it comes through the Holy Spirit. So I want to just say to you, uh, thank you for praying for us. Continue to pray for us. Uh, we are literally going day to day, week to week, following the voice of the Holy Spirit as He leads us through this time. Uh, the best commitment that we as an eldership team can give to the church is that we promise you we're on our faces, our ear uh, to the heart of God, and we're saying, Lord, as you speak, we want to follow. And uh, we don't claim to have all the answers. We don't claim uh, to, to just know exactly how this is going to go and what the next steps are. But what we do know is that we are passionately pursuing His voice. His voice is leading us. It's the voice of God that's leading 24-7 church. And so I want to encourage you, let the voice of God lead your life, lead your personal decisions, your family decisions, your business decisions. Let's be a people that model true humility, uh, a true faith, and the leadership of Jesus in our lives. As I say that, um, you know, I do believe that we've, we've come to a time and we are, uh, we're there and we're also fast approaching it. It's one of those weird ones um, where the church is going to make a stand, a true stand. And, uh, and I feel such a um, stirring in my heart, but also the reverence and fear of the Lord 
Because we cannot afford to make a stand out of any other spirit other than the spirit of Jesus. We cannot afford to make a stand in the spirit of rebellion or make a stand to prove a point or make a stand uh, to, for any political advantage or gain. It's, it's none of that. We have to make a stand in Jesus. And that stand is going to look like whatever he decides it's going to look like. And that's why it's so important that we're listening to his voice, that we are yielded and soft and tender in his hands. God is not shocked by the situation that we're in. He's not shocked uh, by the moments that we are facing right now. He's fully, fully aware. And we have divine access to the wisdom of God to face what we're facing right now. So I want to encourage you with that. You know, in this time, um, the, the question that's been in my heart all the time as we go day to day and we're praying has been, Lord, how do we do this? Lord, how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we pastor people? How do we shepherd people? How do we connect with people? How do we disciple people? How do we keep people connected? How do we do this, Lord? And uh, a couple of days ago, I felt the Holy Spirit as I, as I woke up. He said this to me. He said, Connor, you're asking the wrong question. And I'm like, no, no, Lord, I'm pretty sure this is the right question because we need to know what to do. And he said, no, you're asking the wrong question. And, uh, and I heard, I felt the Holy Spirit pause and he gave me an opportunity to rephrase my question. And suddenly this question came up in my spirit, and the question was this, Lord, what do you want? And it, it totally shifted my whole perspective of the moment that we're in from trying to figure out how to get this right. How do we do this? How do we be the church in this hour? And God's saying, you are the church. You didn't do anything to become the church. I made you the church. In other words, you are not the church because you tick a, a, a certain boxes and you do these types of gatherings and these kinds of expressions. And so because of that, yep, okay, you qualify as the church. No, God is saying, I made you the church. I'm building my church. You are not building my church. I am building my church. So what, have, what is God actually asking of his people? What is God actually saying? He's not asking us to figure this out. What he's asking us to do is what he has been asking from the beginning of time, right from the Garden of Eden. And he's saying, will you give me your heart? He's asking for our lives. He's asking for a bride. And if we as a corporate community, as a family, focus our lives on living as a bride for his glory, a bride for him, for his heart, then he'll begin to build and shape and mold and create all that we are called to be simply because we're lovers of God and we'll follow Him to the ends of the earth. So I believe that as we focus our hearts around being burning ones for Him, that we begin to turn our affection, our attention, and the focus of our lives to the person of Jesus, to the beautiful bridegroom, that in that place of tenderness, we're going to see the greatest expression of the church that we have ever known in history, and we will be prepared for the greatest harvest that the world has ever seen amidst a narrative that's locked down and shut down, but it starts with a group of burning hearts. So I want to talk today about living with a burning heart. And so I want to, I want to unpack something. I, I'm doing a, a study at the moment into this, and I could speak for six hours uh, on, on this whole thing if I was to unpack it. But basically, it's the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and it's the theme of God's heart. But I'm going to just pick out a few things that I pray are going to encourage you and strengthen you today. If you've got your Bibles, will you turn to Revelations chapter 3? And we're going to read Revelations chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. I'm going to be reading from the Amplified, so there may be a few extra words, but they're, they're anointed Holy Spirit words because the Amplified is the best version. Um, I'm teasing. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> All right. Revelations chapter 3, verse 14 says this To the divine messenger of the church in Laodicea, write. So you have to understand what's about to happen here. Jesus is speaking to John, and John is writing down what Jesus is saying. So here's what I need you to understand as we read this scripture, you need to know that Jesus is writing to the church, He's not writing to unbelievers. He's not writing to the lost. He's not just writing a broad statement. He's writing to the church. And we know these seven churches in Revelations uh, 1, 2, 3. Um, 
These seven churches that we read about, they're all positioned, uh, or, or the location is now in modern-day Turkey. But we know that he's writing to these cities, but it's also a prophetic declaration of letters written to the church in the end times. And so when we read these letters, there's so much in them that's for us right now. In fact, not so much, all of it. All of it is for us right now. And you can read through these letters and see that Jesus is addressing the church and, and there's specific things that he's focusing on and wants to communicate that are going to be necessary for us right now in the end times and in the time that we live in. So he says to the, to the divine messenger of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the trusted and faithful and true witness, the beginning and origin of God's creation. You had me at line one. Uh, if this is the guy who's speaking, it sounds like we really need to pay attention to what he's about to say to the church in Laodicea. And he says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have prospered and grown wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, without hope and in great need. I counsel you to buy from me gold that has been heated red hot and refined by fire, so that you may become truly rich, and white clothes to clothe yourself, so that the shame of your nakedness will not be seen, and healing salve to put on your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I dearly and tenderly love, I rebuke and discipline. So be enthusiastic and repent. This part gets me. Behold, I stand at the door and continually knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. He who overcomes the world through believing that Jesus is the Son of God, I will grant to him the privilege to sit beside me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down beside my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear and heed what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, this is a pretty intense passage of Scripture. And for most of my life, I've read this uh, kind of picturing Jesus a little ticked. I don't know about you, but when you, when you read this, it sounds like he's a little bit upset. He's a little bit annoyed. Uh, he's kind of making some statements out of the church. Come on, guys. Not, uh, uh, you're not hot. You're not cold. You're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You can easily read this and totally misunderstand the tone of the heart of God, the tone of Jesus as He's communicating. I need you to understand that as Jesus is, is uh, speaking these words, He's speaking from the posture of a lover. He's speaking from the heart of a bridegroom. This isn't an upset God who's ticked off with people and go, why are you not getting it right and let me try and uh, uh, you know, discipline you. In fact, He actually explains that when He rebukes or disciplines, it's actually because He dearly and tenderly loves you. So those words, dearly and tenderly, those are actually descriptions of how Jesus is communicating this letter to the church in Laodicea. So when you read it through that lens, suddenly you begin to realize something. He's making it evident to us that lukewarmness, we were never called to live in that space. We're born to be burning. We're born to be hot in the kingdom. But he says something that's so profound. He says, because you say, I am rich, and I've prospered and grown wealthy, and I have need of nothing. I was listening to uh, a man named Billy Humphrey, and he touched on this verse, and he, he pulled something out that's just so captured my heart, and I feel to share it with you today. You know, he says, what is lukewarmness? What does it mean to be lukewarm? And what it really means is it's any area in your life where you think, you have need of nothing. Any area in your life where you operate in and of yourself and you think you have no need in that area, you're lukewarm. If there's any area in our life where we are not living in a constant dependence and need for Jesus to intervene, to be manifest, to be known, to be expressed for the kingdom of heaven uh, to take over in that situation. If there's any area where we are not living in need of the Holy Spirit, in need of Jesus, we are living lukewarm in that area. You know, I realize that when Jesus is, is uh, stating this, He's writing it to the church in a city, but He's writing it to individual hearts. 
Sometimes we read these scriptures, and, and the first thing that pops in our head is we think of all the people that we know that are lukewarm, you know? Yeah, you know, that church, you know, that church down there, they're lukewarm. Yeah, those people, yeah, they say this, but they live that way. All these different, we have all these opinions, but the reality is Jesus is speaking to your heart. And this gripped me yesterday, and I found myself in a place where I was so tender before the Lord because I began to realize that God's heart is that He's after a bride. And sometimes we get so consumed with trying to create something that looks like a bride, and we forget to actually be one in our hearts. We forget to actually stay in that romantic, deep place of love and tenderness with the Lord, where we are constantly communing with Him. And so I want to encourage you, what are the areas in your life where you think you're doing well? Look at those areas and say, Lord, am I living in any of these areas in my life where the expression of my life is as if I have no need? You know, I, I was just thinking, and I can be honest and transparent. I have the most beautiful and incredible wife. She's on this call right now. I love her to bits. She's golden. And, you know, for me, if you would ask me, you know, are you a good husband? I'd say, yeah, I'm a good husband. I'm a, I'm a good husband. In fact, I think I'm a better husband than a lot of other people, you know. But <laughs> And yesterday, exactly, the most humble husband. But the Lord, the Lord spoke to my heart and, and challenged me around that because it's like, man, if I am not positioning myself in a place of great need as a husband, as a friend, as a leader, in everything that I do, if, I, if I'm ever operating from a place where I think I have no need, I'm lukewarm. I can actually live and operate as a lukewarm husband and think I'm doing a good job. And I'm using that as an example, but you can take this in any area of your life. What are the areas that I'm doing well in? Lord, have I, have I come into a lukewarm expression of my life? My dad's put a shocked face. I see that on the Zoom thing. Thanks, Dad. I'm going to get a, a rebuking after this. I want to encourage you, look, in, look at the areas in your life where you think you're doing well and say, Lord, am I operating in any way where I, I seem to think I don't have any need of you? You look at the way you handle your finances and say, Lord, am I operating as if I have no need of you? Am I doing this in my own strength? And then he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold that has been heated red hot and refined by fire. I want to encourage you, that's burning. See, our God, Hebrews chapter 12, right at the end, our God is an all-consuming fire. When we allow God to come in, because, you see, He's made this His residence. You are His residence. He lives there. He resides in you. But, as we've seen here, He is knocking at the door of the hearts of the church and he's waiting for us to let him in. Why? Because when you let Jesus in, it's an all-consuming fire. He burns up everything that is not eternal in you. And it falls away. And you will be changed and transformed. But you will know what it's like to burn like he does. See, you were created not to burn with your own expression of love for him. You were called to burn the way that he burns. Oh, I hope you're hearing me. So he's counseling you today. He's counseling your heart. And he's saying, I counsel you to buy from me gold that has been heated red hot and refined by fire so that you may become truly rich. It's not material. It's not earthly. It's not prosperity or abundance on the earth. It is an eternal wealth that is found in the deep places of intimacy with God. And he's counseling your heart today and he's saying, will you come and buy from me gold that is burning hot? How do we buy this? Well, let me encourage you and give you the greatest news that you will ever hear. It's been paid for. He says to you, I paid the highest price. There is nothing left to pay. So what does he mean? He's saying, I've given it to you. Come and get it. Come to me. Come and get what I've paid for. Come and get it from me, the one who's bought it, the one who's paid it, the one who's paid the highest price. But let me tell you something. It's free and it'll cost you everything. 
Because in order to buy it from Jesus, it looks like absolute surrender, a death to everything that makes you who you are outside of Him, a yieldedness to Him where He becomes Lord. There's not a single thing in your life that He doesn't lead you in. There's not a single thing in your life that's not His. There is nothing that you own or that belongs to you or that you think you have a right to anymore because it's now all Him. And the thing is, you don't get refined, burning hot gold unless it's all in. This is what I want to encourage you with. The burning hearts are ones who have allowed the all-consuming fire to burn everything else away until all we have is Him. You know, sometimes we say things like, you know, Lord, possess me, fill me, all I want is You. But do we understand, have we allowed our lives to come to a place where we have nothing but Him? Because we say, Lord, you're all I need. But the reality is, really? Have we forsaken all else in our lives? And when I say forsake, I'm not necessarily meaning you have to go and sell everything unless the Lord tells you to. Hallelujah, amen. That's a prophetic word. But my point is, has, have we forsaken it in our hearts? Have we let go of all of those things? And are we looking at him? Have we allowed him to consume us? You know, Abraham is asked to take his promise up a mountain and give him to God. Abraham is asked to take the promise that he contended for again and again and again. This wasn't just a couple of weeks. This was years and years and years of contending, contending, contending. And God breaks in and he receives the promise. And then as Abraham's beginning to enjoy the promise, suddenly God says, give me your promise. Why does God say that? He's saying, are you prepared? to forsake all else, including the benefits of what I give you, the promises that I give you, the blessings and the abundance and all that I am to you in, the, in expressions on this earth, would you even lay that down, that you would possess me, that you would have me, that I can fill you, that we would be one? Am I the most valuable thing in your life? In fact, not just that, am I the only thing? So my heart has been stirred because suddenly I'm saying, Lord, I repent of getting caught up in trying to understand and trying to have the wisdom and trying to have the knowledge and trying to have the understanding and trying to, to make sure that I know what to do. I'd rather forsake all else, come into that burning place with Him, open the door of my heart and say, Lord, come in and commune with me. Because He encourages us to buy heated red hot gold refined by fire so that we can be truly rich. He also wants to clothe you. He wants to wrap you in white clothes, His righteousness, that will cover you from your shame, that will cover you from what you do not know and what you are not able to do. And then He says, and healing solve to put on your eyes so that you may see. We're in a time right now where we need to truly see, but you won't see until you die to yourself, come into the burning place and allow Him to put healing solve on your eyes. He says, those whom I dearly and tenderly love, I rebuke and discipline. So be enthusiastic and repent. This is a word to our hearts. If we understand the tenderness in which Jesus is speaking to us, then we understand that the adjustment, the discipline that he wants to minister to our hearts so that we can come in to the fullness of the gospel. It is not punishment. It's not God whipping us or driving us to do something. No, it's the tender heart of the bridegroom inviting you into all that you were created for. And he's saying it's because of that heart that you can be enthusiastic and repent. See, what if repentance doesn't always have to be so dressed and wrapped in sorrow? What if repentance can be dressed and clothed and wrapped in enthusiasm because our God is an all-consuming fire? And the closer I get to Him, the more everything else falls away and I'm going to begin to burn like He burns. And he says, behold... I stand at the door, and the Amplified in brackets says, I stand at the door of the church. See, Jesus, this, is, this, this really moves me that actually the one who created the church for his own glory, the bridegroom of the bride, can be actually left outside of the church. And he's standing at the door, and he's knocking continually at the door of our hearts, not at the actual physical door of the building, because that would be terrible seeing as we can't all be here. 
He's knocking at the door of your hearts. He's not knocking at the door just of your leaders and you're waiting for your leaders to get their act together. He's knocking on your heart. And he's saying, I want to come in. He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. What is he saying? He's saying, if you will open the door of your heart to me, I will make you a burning one. But what that means is that I will commune with you. We're going to sit and feast together on the glory of God. And I will give you everything that you need to do what I've called you to do. And you'll be so wrapped in my glory, so wrapped in my presence. There'll be nothing else, nothing else that matters, nothing else that can capture your attention. We'll be face to face. You'll hear my voice and obey me. You'll be fed by what I feed you. And so he invites us to open the door. And he says, he who overcomes... He who overcomes. I will grant to him to sit beside me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down beside my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear. I want to, I want to use this passage of scripture right now to be the lens that you view what I'm about to say next. So take this scripture and realize this is, this is the moment that we're in right now. He's speaking to our hearts and he's inviting us. He's knocking on the door. He's saying, I want to make you a burning one. I want you to be in need of me, beloved. I need you to be on your knees, humble, dependent, reliant on me. Because it's in that place that I can truly have my glory, demonstrate my glory. Now you take that lens and you begin to see the master plan of the Father and what he's doing right now. You know, I was reading in Revelations 21 about the bride. And in fact, let me try and read it just real quick. There was just something that gripped my heart with how it was worded. <laughs> Revelations 21. Sure. The whole chapter is so good. Verse 9, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven final plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Whew. Just want to stop there for a second and just say, what does it look like to live as the wife of the Lamb. Because that's what we're talking about when we talk about the bride. And he carried me away in the spirit to a vast and lofty mountain, and he showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having God's glory filled with his radiant light. The brilliance of it resembled a rare and very precious jewel, like jasper shining and clear as crystal. Now, if you carry on reading through it, it's a description of what the city looks like. And so we begin to see, uh, for the sake of time, you can carry on reading this. You can begin to see here that there's this, this city that is descending, and it's the bride. It's the dwelling place of God. Now, we know that this is not a physical city. This is not a building built with hands. No, this is the people of God. This is a description of the church, the bride. This is who we are becoming in Christ. But I love... That it says in verse 22, I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty uh, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun nor of the moon to give it light for the glory of God has illumined it and the Lamb is its lamp and light. The nations, the redeemed people from the earth will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring into it their glory. By day, its gates will never be closed in fear of evil. Come on. Nah. Its gates will never be closed because of fear of evil. And they will bring the glory, splendor, majesty, and the honor of the nations into it. I want you to understand something. If this is just a picture of a moment at the end, why would the gates be opened and the nations come into it? It's not just a picture of a moment at the end. It's a picture of what we are becoming as the bride, the city of God, 
the, the dwelling place of God where our gates are open. We're not afraid of evil. There is no evil in Him. And as long as He is the light within the bride, the radiance, the glory, the brilliance of God upon the church, there is no evil in Him. And so the gates can stay open. And now we are welcoming the nations to come in to the glory of God. This is what we're becoming in Christ. I need, to, I need you to understand why we're doing what we're doing. We cannot get lost in the political agendas and the narrative of the enemy. We have to keep our eyes fixed on the dream of God and understand what we're living for. God is putting together, He's building and equipping and preparing a, a bride for His glory. And she's going to have gates that are open and nations are going to come into her. The redeemed of the earth are coming in and the city's getting bigger and be- more beautiful. And nothing that defiles or profanes or is unwashed will ever enter it. (laughs) It's pure. Nor anyone who practices abominations and lying, but only those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God. This is chapter 22. And of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river was the tree of life. That's Jesus. Bearing 12 kinds of fruit. Picture of government. Yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So you have to understand, it's part of the master plan, the dream of God. That the, the fruit and the, the expression of the tree of life, Jesus, as we are rooted in Him, as we are living in Him, as we are married to Him, the fruit of Jesus is the healing of the nations because He's creating a city, a bride, that are open to receive the redeemed on the earth. Uh, you could carry on there. It's so good. But I want you now to take this, and we're going to go all the way back because I look here at the end and I say, Lord, I'm seeing a wedding ceremony. Where did this start, Lord? Where did this begin? So I go back to the beginning. And I go back to the garden, and guess what we find? A wedding ceremony. See, I need you to understand that before the world was created, before the foundations of the world, the Father and the Son were in perfect oneness and relationship and covenant. And the Holy Spirit is ministering between the Son and the Father, and the Trinity is beginning to minister to each other in the glory and the brilliance of who He is. And suddenly, God begins to feel a burning desire. And I'm going to explain to you what that desire is. So He creates the earth, and He begins to create all these different things, the plants and and the, the animals. And then He creates Adam, a man who doesn't look like any animal, any plant, any river. He's unique. And God says that he's made in his image. Now listen to this. He gets Adam to name every single animal. Now I want you to understand, if you go and look at the the fossil records and stuff, you're talking about thousands and thousands of species. This is not a day that Adam walks around and just names the big five and then moves on. This is, this is months. This is a long time, hours and hours of the day that Adam is working. He is collaborating and partnering with God to create something. God creates it and he gives Adam the privilege of naming it. And guess what happens? Every single species, Adam notices something. Male, female. Male, female. Male, female. And he's naming these species, but he's seeing that each one has a partner Each one has someone that's like him in a different way that makes that species one. And Adam is realizing this, and he's naming them, and he's naming them, and he's naming them, but there's one problem. He's looking around, and he's not seeing any other species, anything else created that's in his image. And so suddenly, Adam begins to long and ache with the same longing and the same ache that the father has. And he begins to look around, and he turns to God, and he says, God, but where is one like me? And so what does God do? Out of the side of Adam, he creates Eve, a bride. And in that moment, God is introducing the master plan of his heart. 
And he is allowing mankind to come into his heart to understand the longing of his heart. Because God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is looking for one in their image that they can covenantally be one with for all of eternity. If we do not view everything about the gospel through this lens, we will miss it and we will start to operate in duty instead of love and romance. We begin to operate out of tasks and duty to the point where we imagine the day that we stand before Jesus, that there's going to be this taskmaster who's standing there and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Next, well done, good and faithful servant. Next, no, you didn't do it. Off you go. Next, well done. Come on, this is not Jesus. If we understand the dream of God, we're going to stand before him as a bridegroom and a bride. And I'm going to have the privilege of, as the bride of Christ, having served him with my love. In other words, Jesus, when he's calling us servant, he's talking about the expression of our love. He's basically saying, well done, good and faithful lovers. And so we see in the garden that God takes out of Adam and he creates Eve. Now here's something so beautiful. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal in the Trinity, though there's this beautiful culture of honor. But Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. So when the Father sends Jesus to fulfill the covenant that he wants with mankind, he takes Jesus from his side and he sends him and gives him to the earth so that Jesus can come and pay for the bride that is the master plan of God. Guess what happens? Jesus is hanging on the cross and they pierce him in his side And blood and water begin to come out. And suddenly, the new covenant, New Testament, eternal bride of Christ is born in a moment in the perfect sacrifice, in the perfect blood of Jesus, that we will no longer ever be able to lose what he has paid for. All he's asking you to do is to come to him and buy gold that is burning, buy love that is burning, red hot, flaming fiery love where you can burn like he burns with the Father. And so in that moment, Jesus allowed the Father to take from his side an eternal Eve, an eternal bride that for all of eternity will be in oneness and covenant with Jesus that God can now look at one made in his image fully, fully looking like him, perfected in his righteousness and his blood, and now rule and reign together for all of eternity. We need to understand. Oh, we need to get this. This is everything. If, If this begins to shape your life, oh my goodness, where's Monday blues are gone. There's no such thing as any form of depression or anxiety or fear. Because the reality is I can see with a clear lens. There's been healing soul on my eyes to see that he's knocking at the door. And I want to say this to you. If you read Song of Songs, it will change the tone of how God speaks to your heart. Too many Christians are hearing God speak to us as a disappointed, frustrated God. Why haven't you done this? Why are you not doing this? Your expression should look like this. You you don't meet the mark. All these different things. The reality is read Song of Songs and suddenly the tone begins to change and you hear this is a lover speaking to his bride. This is a father speaking to his children. And as you begin to read Song of Songs, you'll see in Song of Songs 2 that it's described Jesus is outside the walls, outside the window. He's outside the lattice and he is aching and longing and wooing and calling his bride. This isn't a, a, you know, arty-farty, you know, ballet dancer who's just writing poetry. This is a fierce lover who's looking through the window and he's saying, I ache for you. I long for you. I'm jealous for your heart. I want you. I've paid a price for you. I'm aching for you to come and be one with me. I'm knocking on the door. I'm continually bashing on the door of your heart saying, open the door and let me in. Because when I come in, we'll commune. We'll be one. We'll feast and fellowship together. Not just for a moment, but for all of eternity. And this is what God is saying to the church right now. He's saying, if we respond in this moment outside of a posture of burning 
hearts, then we're going to fall into the things of this world. We're going to fall into uh, a rebellion and opinions and agendas and trying to prove a point and trying to find our place at the table in this world. Well, hey, you forgot the church, and what about this and that, and I'm sick and tired of this. You know what? It's time for us to die and to come in to the burning place with Jesus and say, Lord, I'm in need of you. I don't know what to do. I don't have a strategy. I don't have a plan. I have you. That's all I have. Take my burning heart. Teach me how to burn like you burn. And as I begin to live as a burning one, you can do anything that you want in my life. And then suddenly Jesus says, now I can build my church because they're built on the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now I will do what I've called you to do. I will do it in you and through you. Now I know because you're burning like I burn for the Father. See, catch this. If Jesus was taken from the side of the Father and came to the earth and he burned on the earth with the same fire that the Father has for his children, and he said, I do nothing that the Father hasn't told me to do. I say nothing that I haven't heard the Father say. Now Jesus is commissioning us to do the same with him that we as the wife of the Lamb, the bride of Christ, we do nothing that He does not do. We say nothing that He has not said. See, when we burn for Jesus like Jesus burns with the Father, then we're in a place to truly obey and to truly follow. Then there's no price too expensive or too much to pay to see the glory and the kingdom of heaven established because I've been... I've been consumed by an all-consuming love. I want to say this to you. How do you get free from addictions and struggles and sin and fear and anxiety and depression and all these things? You need the all-consuming fire. You need to, you're being counseled by Jesus to come and buy from Him gold that is red hot, refined by fire, burning hot love. See, we're coming to that moment where we're going to make a stand. But we need to come through this time as burning ones, not as opinionated ones. We need to come through this time soft and tender and humble and hungry and aching and longing for God. And it's from that place that we're going to see His glory invade. And so I think it's really important when we begin to realize that maybe God is not interested in answering our question of how, because maybe the realm of how was His realm to begin with. I don't know about you, but we didn't come up with the plan of how to create the world. We didn't come up with the plan of how to create the animals. We were just asked to name them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We didn't come up with a plan for salvation. We were just asked to believe. We didn't come up with, with a revelation and an understanding for eternity. We were just asked to yield, to say yes, to give our lives to Jesus. So we find ourselves in a moment where once again we are tempted to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and try and understand the how. And he's saying, you are not called to eat from that tree. Come to the tree of life and feast on life. Feast on the now with Jesus, the burning now in the flames of the all-consuming fire where you'll be consumed by him and I will take care of the how, says the Lord. See, I want to say this to you coming from the, the posture and the position of an elder and a leader and a shepherd. That is terrifying when you're doing things in your own strength. See, that's why we have to look at the areas in our life and say, Lord, which areas do I think I'm doing well in? Because if I do not have need of you, then maybe I'm missing the point and I'm asking the wrong questions. Maybe I need to humble myself and stop asking the how and start saying, Lord, what do you want? Because the answer to that question is the same every time. He's saying, you. And what this will look like in your life is less time frustrated trying to find answers and more time, more time satisfied, more time burning, more time aching and longing, more time ministering to Him, more romance, more intimacy, more love, more encounters with God. That in the midst of the most crazy time in the world, there's a group of people, a remnant, a bride for His glory that are beginning to rise and shine with the light that has come. We didn't produce this light, we received it. We need to live in the light. We need to live in the fire. So, 
I realize that sometimes if we don't understand the gospel through this lens, we can easily treat it like a message, like something we're a part of, a social club, uh, a religious club. We can actually just treat it like a religion that gives me a few tools to cope with life. And that is just so far from what we are and what we're about. When we begin to see this thing through the lenses of a bridegroom and a bride, a father and his children, the greatest apostolic spirit, a sent spirit, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit inside of us, crying out, Abba, Father, on our behalf, leading us in that bridal romance with Jesus. When you see it through that lens, then you begin to get touched and marked by the reality of your bridegroom. See, when you've seen him, not just been told about him, when you've seen him and you've touched him, you've tasted and seen, when you've been touched by him, then everything else fades away in your life and you begin to live for the day that you will see him face to face. And when we begin to understand that moment that is coming where we will stand before the lover of our souls, we're no longer afraid coming from the posture of an orphan and a servant, but we come as a son, as a daughter, as the bride. And suddenly, every part of my being aches. See, I think the church has forgotten how to ache, how to long, how to groan. You know, David... David understood this. He says, oh God, you are my God. With deepest longing, I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs and sighs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have gazed upon you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. So will I bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises to you with joyful lips. See, this kind of wording, these are people, men and women of God, like David, who understood, they caught a glimpse of the dream, of the heart, of the intentions of God, and they began to realize that actually while I'm here on the earth, I am going to groan and ache and long for the day that I stand before him. And the moment we stop aching, the moment we stop groaning and stop longing, it's because we're falling in love with this world and we're losing the burning, all-consuming love that Jesus has called us to live in. Let's not look at the world. Let's not fall into the things of this world. Let's not look away. Let's stay in that burning place with Jesus. And I promise you, the way there is humility. The way there is what I started with, Revelations 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Open the door, beloved, and he will come in and he will feast with you. It's really simple. It's humility. It's great need of him. It's requiring him as our greatest need. It's dependence. It's reliance. It's so simple. And I want to encourage you today and say if we will live from that place, we will see God do the most profound things. Am I excited to see the, the dead raised, lepers cleansed, uh, you know, healing signs, wonders, miracles, demons cast out of people? Absolutely. And those signs are going to follow those who believe. But what it means to believe is to die to everything else and to come into the burning place with the burning one and to burn forevermore. So I want to encourage you today and I want to pray for you because the invitation this morning is for 24-7 church to be a burning church. I want to be a people, I don't know about you, but I want to be a people that don't read the Bible uh, to just get understanding or get answers. I want to read the Bible to fall in love with Jesus and to become the bride that he paid for. You know, Leonard Ravenhill, um, I don't know how many of you know him, but Leonard Ravenhill said this. He said, don't read this book. Oh, no, he said it like this. Don't just go through this book. Let this book go through you. And that's totally different. Don't just go through this book. Don't just read this book. Don't just, uh, you know, page through it, flip through it, read a couple things, look for some encouragements, pick out a scripture of the day that strengthens you for that moment. No, let this book go through you. Let it completely conquer you, challenge you, change everything about you. And yes, that does look like reading it and taking scriptures in the day and meditating it. So I'm not, I'm not taking that away. But here, the heart posture. Change the perspective. 
I'm not looking for a better day. I'm looking for an eternal covenant. And that's the reality of what we're called to live in. So 24-7 church, let's burn for Jesus. We are in a time right now, the response that God is looking for is every single one of us to go into the deep secret place with Him, to go into that burning place with Him, to open the doors of our hearts and allow Him to come in. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to achieve it. You don't have to get your house in order. Just open the door. You know, I don't know about you, but when, when you've got a fierce lover like Jesus who's jealous over you, he is impassioned for you. He is so stirred for you. And he's bashing at that door continually saying, open the door. It's kind of weird if, if your response to that is, I'm just, just hold on. I just need to vacuum the passageway. I left a bit of crumbs on the floor. I messed something here. I need to fix it. No, Jesus is saying, I want to change and transform this whole, this whole life, this whole house. I've made you my place of residence. You are my dwelling place. Let me in. It's my house. That's what Jesus is saying. So open the doors, let him in, and watch how the all-consuming fire of his love and of his face is going to change everything about you. So I want to ask you in your homes to stand with me, and we are going to ask Holy Spirit right now to begin to fill every single home with the all-consuming fire of his presence. Father, we posture our lives before you right now, and we repent with such enthusiasm and such joy, we repent for where we have made it about us, for where we have been consumed with words like how and what and where and when. Lord, I pray today that we would be captivated by you, that we would come into the burning place with a burning one and burn forevermore. I pray for every heart and every soul, every person that, that's watching live now or that will watch this later, and I ask, Holy Spirit, that you lead us back to that secret place with you. Lord, you're knocking on the door of our hearts, and Lord, we want to open the doors and say, come on in, this is your house. Lord, we want to dine with you, we want to feast with you, we want to serve you as lovers. So I just pray today. I pray today, Holy Spirit, every person on this call, let the fire of the Holy Spirit, the all-consuming fire of your love, let it consume them right now in Jesus' name. Father, would you honor this word with power? in their lives, Lord, the power of the gospel. I just release fire right now, tangible fire in your homes, tangible fire on your hearts, fire on your tongues, fire in your eyes, on your hands, on your feet, fire in your heart right now. Lord, make us burning ones, we pray. Make us burning ones, we pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. We ache for you, God. We groan for you, Lord. We long for you, Lord. We're desperate for you, Jesus. Lord, never allow us to come into any place where we think we don't have need of you, where we think we're doing well. Lord, we want to be constantly looking at your face, constantly reliant, dependent, trusting you, dependent on you, Lord. Help us, Holy Spirit. Mercy and grace to the church. Lord, strengthen every believer right now. Strengthen every single heart, every single mind. Strengthen the church in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Make us lovers, Lord. Make us lovers, Lord. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. Holy Spirit, come. Even now, I just want to release the, the breath, the wind of the Holy Spirit upon your life. God's going to awaken you. He's going to awaken your heart. He's stirring your heart right now. Some of you have felt so cold, so dry so far from God, so far from His voice, so far. And He says to you, you are not far, you're near. Turn and look at me. Lift your head, lift your gaze. Listen, hear the noise of the knocking on the door. Open your heart, I'm right here. Let me in. And as He comes in, you're going to feel the glory of God fill your life. You don't have to be cold. You don't have to be lukewarm. You never have to be dry. I remember the Lord said to me once, he said, kind of waiting on God, waiting on God, waiting on the Lord only feels dry when you think you don't deserve his attention. You are a son, a daughter of the Most High King. You are the wife of the Lamb. There is no one else that he would rather give his attention to than you. So open your hearts, beloved.
Listen to his voice. Look at his face. Receive his heart. 24-7 church, I bless you in the name of Jesus. And as I've prayed a few times, Lord, help us to be burning ones. Burning hearts with the burning one that we would burn forevermore, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Breath of God, I just release the breath of God right now over every single aching heart, every hungry heart, every tender, soft, and humble heart. I release the breath of the Holy Spirit to revive and to awaken. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. 24-7, you're awesome. It's been so good to be able to preach to your faces and see you all there. I want to encourage you to take this word. You'll be able to listen to this again. It'll be up on all the uh, podcast platforms. It'll be on YouTube.